Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Educating Investors podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, financial advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode, Possible Reasons and Signs of Increasing Volatility. I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on the markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. In this episode, I'm going to discuss some of the reasons for and possible signs of increasing volatility in the market over the next few months. I believe there are a number of reasons that we could have an increase in volatility in the markets over the next few months. A few of those reasons are the election, the path of the coronavirus, the deteriorating U.S. relationship with China, and the potential for a no-deal Brexit between the U.K. and the E.U., So let's take a look at some of these possible reasons for an increase in volatility in more detail. The first reason is the election. According to a research note from Deutsche Bank strategists, the 10 close elections in post-World War II era have seen sell-offs in the six to seven weeks before the election. However, it is not just the period into the election, but possibly the period after the election this time around. Investors should brace themselves for election week or weeks rather than election day. No clear winner may emerge on the night of November 3rd or even early in the next morning given the extra time that may be needed to tally mail-in ballots. A contested election would likely send stocks lower. The 2000 election, which ultimately had to be decided by the Supreme Court in Bush v. Gore, trimmed 5% from the S&P 500 index. This might be a mild response if an uncertain election outcome sparks civil unrest. Between the day of the election in 2000, which was November 7th, and the day the Supreme Court decided the election on December 12th, the 10-year Treasury went from a yield of 5.96 to 5.42%. So core fixed income provided some diversification from volatility after that contested election. The Deutsche Bank strategists, meanwhile, find close elections have been followed by strong rallies averaging 5%, regardless of which party wins, as hedges against political risk are closed out. Futures on the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, show expectations of increased volatility through October and diminished post-election volatility through December. Current VIX futures show the VIX around 30 in October going into November. A VIX reading of 30 has historically been followed by an average daily movement of 1.3% on the S&P 500. Given the likely rise in voting by mail and the controversy over it, the strategists suggest the market may be not pricing in a contested voting outcome, so they advise protecting the portfolios into December. So based on this information, we would expect that the market could become more volatile in October, heading into the election with research showing that the 10 close elections in the post-World War II era seeing sell-offs about two months before the election. Once the close election has been decided, research shows that the market tends to rally as investors close out their hedges. No matter if Donald Trump or Joe Biden wins in November, next year will be the first year of a new presidential term. The average year one return for the S&P 500 is about 6%. The S&P falls about 45% of the time in the first year of a presidential term, the worst of any presidential years. The odds of a decline in any other year is about 30%. The election could cause some short-term volatility, but over the long-term, market returns are very consistent, and markets tend to be more influenced by earnings and valuations, and not elections. The next potential reason for an increase in volatility is the spread of the coronavirus. We have seen continued hotspots as it comes to the coronavirus. We have seen hotspots in the U.S. and the South and West start to slow down, while cases have been picking up in the Midwest. 
opiate scene cases also start to rise again in Europe and countries like Spain and France. The World Health Organization's COVID-19 dashboard showed Monday that a new one-day record high has been reached of 307,930 confirmed cases of the coronavirus. The hope for effective treatments and or vaccines would help. However, it will take some time for production of enough doses of the vaccine to be available and people need to feel comfortable and willing to take the vaccine. According to the latest Yahoo News YouGov poll, less than a third of Americans, 32%, say they plan to get vaccinated when a vaccine becomes available. With a continued high number of cases, the potential for an increase or second wave of the virus in the winter, along with flu season, the time needed for development and production of treatments and vaccines, and an avoidance by a majority of Americans to get vaccinated when available, says to me that the virus is going to be with us at least into a good part of next year and should continue to cause some level of volatility. The next potential reason for an increase in volatility is the U.S. relationship with China. The deteriorating relationship with the second largest economy in the world continues to get worse. Terry Branstad, U.S. Ambassador to China, decided to leave his post this week following several months during which U.S.-China relations quickly deteriorated as the two governments imposed tit-for-tat diplomatic restrictions on each other while arguing over differences related to trade, technological competition, and geopolitical influence. The coronavirus pandemic also strained ties. The Trump administration on Monday banned cotton apparel, computer parts, and other imports from companies and suppliers that allegedly relied on forced and imprisoned laborers in China. This continued strained relationship could lead to more volatility no matter who gets elected, as both parties want to show that they are tough against China. Finally, there is the potential for a no-deal Brexit. The risk of a hard no-deal Brexit at the end of this year arose last week. In the Brexit withdrawal agreement, it stated that if the UK leaves the EU single market and customs union and does not want a border between Northern Ireland, a part of the UK, and Ireland, a part of the EU, then there must be a border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland within the UK's internal market. But this week, the UK proposed eliminating the border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Last week, the EU gave the UK an ultimatum to amend or pull the legislation by the end of September. If the UK does not respond, there is significant risk that the EU could suspend talks on their future trading relationship, making a hard no-deal Brexit a reality. This could cause trade disruptions as well as gridlock at points of entry if the UK left the EU without a plan. The upcoming deadline of December 31, 2020 is part of the withdrawal agreement that they both signed, which is an international treaty. So now that we have reviewed a few of the possible reasons for the increase in volatility, let's revisit some of the factors that could cause the market to potentially pull back due to this volatility. The first factor is valuations. The forward PE, the S&P 500, did come down some with the recent market downturn. The current forward PE as of September 14th, according to JP Morgan, is 21.96 times versus a 25-year average of 16.46. So the market is still currently overvalued. Other valuation metrics such as price to book and price to cash flow confirm the overvaluation of the S&P 500. The way that valuations can normalize is for the price of the index to continue to drop, earnings to grow, or a little of both. Some could argue low interest rates and other forms of monetary stimulus justify this type of valuation expansion. If you look at the earnings yield, the inverse of the PE, and compare it to the yield of the BA corporate bond index, the S&P looks more reasonably valued when compared to the lower-rated corporate bonds. 
the earning yield on the S&P 500 is 4.56% versus a yield on the BAA corporate bond index of around 3.34%. Even though valuations have traditionally been a poor market timing tool, returns over time are normally better when starting at a lower valuation than a higher valuation. Looking at current valuations, international developed and the emerging markets look cheaper. The current forward P and the international index, the EFA, is around 17.3 times, and the emerging market index is around 14.9 times. The next factor I want to take a look at is, is potential profit taking. With valuations on the market, and especially tech stocks still trading at higher levels, there could be continued profit taking, especially with the potential of higher capital gains rate with a Democratic administration if they were to win. Would you rather take capital gains and pay less tax on them or more? So the result of the election could lead to potentially more profit taking. The next factor I want to take a look at is rotation in the market. The signs of a rotation have showed up over the last week. According from data from Morningstar, international emerging market indexes outperformed the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ over the last week. The S&P 500... It was up about 2.07%, with the NASDAQ up about 2.5%, while the EFA, the International Develop Index, was up 2.89%, and the Emerging Markets was up 3.53%. A more broad-based rally that was inclusive of more securities would be positive for the rally going forward. However, if the rotation comes from higher market cap-weighted stocks in the index, the index could have a difficult time moving higher. Overly bullish sentiment indicators could be a factor that could lead to a market pullback. Sentiment indicators tend to be contrarian indicators. Last week, sentiment indicators including the Investors Intelligence, the National Association of Active Investment Managers, and the Ned Davis Research Crowd Sentiment Poll were overly bullish at the beginning of last week, which is a bearish indicator regarding market sentiment. This week, the National Association of Active Investment Managers went from bullish to neutral, However, the Investors Intelligence and Ned Davis Research Crowd Sentiment Poll were still bullish even though the indicators had pulled back some, which means those sentiment indicators are still bearish for investors short term. So investors' sentiments through a number of these indicators have not turned bearish, so these indicators would tell us we couldn't have more of a pullback in the market possibly. Finally, technical indicators on the markets have become stretched. The S&P 500 and the NASDAQ are currently around 2% from their 50-day moving average. So the market has come back down to a more reasonable level. However, the S&P 500 and NASDAQ are still around 9% and 15% above their longer 200-day moving average. The 50-day moving average can be an important support level for both these indexes. Volatility could continue to pick up over the next few months. The most important things that investors can do is to make sure that their portfolio allocation, based on their financial plan, is diversified to help them achieve their goals and needs with the least amount of risk. In this current environment, it means that investors want to have exposure to large-cap quality companies with good balance sheets and earnings that can help them to get through difficult times caused by the pandemic if that dynamic were to continue within the economy. These companies, many of which are tech companies, have benefited from the restriction in the economy caused by the pandemic. With income hard to find and interest rates lower for longer, exposures to companies that have the ability to pay and grow their dividends are going to be important. With investors looking for income, the demand for companies that can pay a dividend and grow over time will increase. Investors need to make sure that they have exposure to small and mid-cap as well as value international emerging market companies that could perform better if the economic reopening start to go smoother with the slowing of the spread of the virus and the advancement of potential treatments and vaccines. 
Some of these areas also would benefit from the potential prolonged weakening of the dollar and are trading at lower valuations. Core fixed income, which has a low correlation to risk assets like equities and cash, still play an important role in the portfolio based on the potential for this increased volatility to possibly continue. And having the liquidity in the portfolio necessary in case there is a need for cash, where you as the investor do not have to sell out assets at the wrong time if the market is lower. Although there are a lot of potential concerns when it comes to the market over the next few months, there are the positives for the market looking forward. The current lower for longer interest rate environment, which according to the Federal Reserve could be with us for years, is a positive for the market. The continued liquidity being pumped into the economy by central banks around the world should continue to help support the markets as well. Finally, the possibility of additional fiscal support from governments around the world should provide relief and stimulus to the global economy. Market returns tend to be more volatile over the short term, but they are very consistent over the long term, and the only way to achieve those long-term consistent returns is to be invested in the market over the long term. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking a part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do, as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors Podcast is host Scott Peterson and his firm, Harmony Wealth Management LLC, should not be held liable for any losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors Podcast show.